0: While you're uh, sitting down, we just have one more announcement to make, and that is uh, this coming Sunday is going to be the first Sunday of the month. It's when we uh, celebrate communion, and what we like to do often on the first Sunday is what they did in New Testament times, where after communion you actually have a feast together. So first we'll start with a spiritual feast uh, of the body and blood of Christ, and then we'll have a feast of fellowship, a, a monthly potluck. Uh, this coming Sunday it's slated to be Autumn Harvest of Abundance Potluck Sharing. And as the, the menu is a traditional autumn dinner, as we think of when families get together to give thanks. Those with names starting with A through M, so I think that includes me, uh, bring appetizers and main dishes. Last names starting with L through Z bring salads, side dishes, or desserts. And we'll be sending out a congregational email this week just to remind you. I am really looking forward to that. Well, well, once again, welcome to 40 Days of Community. If you're uh, new with us, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at how we fulfill God's purposes together as a community, how we're better together. We've been looking at that uh, Sunday mornings from the pulpit all the way down to the small groups that we've divided in in order to actually do life together, to do community together. Through these groups, we're we're deepening our relationships within our church and we're extending our relationships around our church. We're learning to love each other better. We're learning to serve those on the outside in a powerful way and as part of our year of going passionately. And so, how really, we're building on what we did last year when we focused on being a caring community. We're enriching our community in the church, and on that foundation, through our groups and through many other things, we're reaching out to the community around our church, Summit County, and indeed the world. And we're doing it together, because the Bible says, "...it is not good for a man or a woman to be alone." That's at the very beginning of the Bible, and you'll see that principle, that principle all the way through. God meant us for to us to be in community together because we're a family. We're a forever family, and we better get used to each other now because we're going to live together for a long time. And uh, time is preparation for eternity. And so it's to that end that we're doing this. Whether you ever get married or not doesn't matter. Really what matters is that you do have a spiritual family, a group of people that you can walk through life together. It's what the church is all about. Last week, we looked at how we grow better together. When we really come together, there can be a synergy of becoming more like Christ, far more than when we're separate. This week, I'd like to look at how we serve better together how we serve better together. This week, as our group starts to turn outward to go shoulder to shoulder into various projects in the community, we'll have some instructions for how best to do that. God did not put you on the earth to live a selfish life, just to take up space, to breathe, to have fun, to retire, and then to die. There's a little bit more to it than that. God put you here to make the world a better place. He has a contribution that He wants you to make with your life that you uniquely Uh, can make more than anyone else on the face of the earth because you are very unique. Contrary to popular opinion, every person is a minister. Every time you help somebody else, you're ministering to that person. But God says, I don't want just you to do that by yourself. I don't want you to minister alone. I don't want you to be, you know, I don't want Lone Ranger servants. Sometimes that has to happen, but that's not the ideal. I want you to do it in community. Like it says in Philippians 2.2, agree with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. That's what we're going to look at today. How do you do that? How do you work together, uh, whether in your small group or whatever, uh, wherever, with one heart and purpose? What does it take, really, I guess we're going to talk about, what does it take to build a team? That's what we're going to look at this morning, and I'm really excited to share this message with you because it applies in so many venues of life, maybe in almost every venue. If you have a group of friends and you'd like them to, to turn them into a team of friends to experience the unique kind of togetherness and camaraderie that will deepen your relationships like nothing, nothing else, here's what it involves. If you have a family or you're married and you'd like to make your marriage stronger or your family, there are four things that you need to build on. If you'd like to increase the team spirit at the office where you work, these are the four things you need to do. If you'd like to draw your small group together, as many of our groups are doing right now to reach out, um, here is what you do. Four things. You can put them into a little acrostic, an acrostic that spells team, T-E-A-M. I'm not sure who came up with this, but it's a classic. Uh, First, it takes T, and that is trust it takes you got to trust each other trust is the emotional glue that that draws you closer together uh, as friends to your family to your small group without trust you're never going to have the intimate relationship that god wants you to have it's the emotional glue that creates a team teamwork without trust is impossible totally impossible one of Paul's main team members was a guy named Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6.20, he said, Timothy, guard what I've entrusted to your care. I've entrusted you with some precious things. To build a team, here's the first step. You have to share responsibility. You have to let other people do it. To let other people do some work, you have to trust them. It doesn't matter what kind of team you're talking about. Anybody knows, you know, that a quarterback can't pass to himself. I've, I've wondered once in a while, could a guy throw the ball and then run fast enough to turn around and catch it? I don't know, maybe they've done that in the past. But that's not generally the way it works. If you're going to win the game, you've got to pass the ball, right? To somebody else, not you. And it's all wrapped up in that one image. What do you need to hand off, for instance, uh, uh, in your group? I would suggest you hand off maybe who will lead the discussion next week. Rotate it around. Let someone else lead, the, lead your uh, discussion. Let somebody else do that. It's, uh, in every small group, there's some hidden talents. Would you agree with that? And we discover them as we get to know each other in every small group. Part of the job, whether the small group is a family or a marriage or an office work group or a 40 days of community group, part of the job of the group is to discover it, to uncover it, and to maximize and to trust the hidden talents of those in the group. In Proverbs 26, it says, Many people claim to be loyal, but it's hard to find a trustworthy person. That's interesting. That was written about a thousand years ago, and it's the same human dilemma today. The question is, who do you trust? How do you know who to trust? Or even, how do you find a trustworthy person? Or even more, when we deal with T, trust, the issue is, how do I become a trustworthy person? It's got to begin here, right? Not with the others on the team, but with me. How do you earn people's trust? Well, you do it at least in three ways according to the Scripture. You earn people's trust, as we try to apply this in a more practical way, you earn people's trust by being consistent, by consistent behavior. Have you noticed how people hate surprises? They don't want you to be acting one way this time and acting another way another time. They want you to be predictable. They need you to be consistent if they're going to trust you. The Bible tells us that God wants that of us. He wants us to learn to be consistent in serving Him. Then He trusts us and other people. It says in Luke 16.10, "...whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. You know, today, it's really easy to want to serve God in the big ways, in spectacular ways, in the obvious and showy ways, even out of good modus to really give Him some glory. <clears throat> but God says you build trust by being faithful, by being trustworthy. I build trust in people's ability to trust me as a pastor by being faithful, by being trustworthy in the small things. The things that nobody sees, especially. It's kind of counterintuitive. You say, well, nobody sees me when I'm doing that. Yeah, but God does. Character is not built in the big things you do, whether praying or fasting or anything else. That's not character. That's not anything like what's most important in life. (laughs) It's in the small things you do that nobody sees. And God says, if you're faithful in little things, I'll give you greater and greater and greater degrees of responsibility as you grow and fulfillment and challenges because you've been faithful in little things. You don't get the great responsibilities until first you've been faithful in the little ones. It's the ones that are little and maybe inconvenient that prove your character. Here's the second way you get people to trust you so you can be a good member of the team. Not just by being consistent, but by being confidential. Confidential. People trust you when they know that you can keep a secret. People trust you when they tell you something and they unburden themselves and they unload something on you and they know you're not going to go spread it all over. That you treasure what they give you. One of the rules for our small groups is that what is said in the group stays in the group. What is said in the group stays in the small group. You don't go talking about everybody else's business. It's confidential for those that are in the group. They've trusted you. They haven't trusted you to tell everybody else. This is huge when it comes to this issue. Proverbs 11.13 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. The third thing, if you want people to trust you, is not only by being consistent and by being confidential, but by being close, not distant. Be close, not distant. You have to spend time with people in order to earn their trust. You don't trust people you don't know, do you? Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, Friends love through all kinds of weather, and families stick together. They're close in all kinds of trouble. This implies proximity. It says you're close, you're together, you stick together. Distance, on the other hand, creates distrust. Whether there should be distrust at all or, or not. You may be a hundred, a thousand percent trustworthy, but if there's distance, that is called into question automatically. And when you're distant from people, you start being distrustful of them. You don't trust people that you don't know. So if you want people to trust you, you've got to spend time with them. Many of you are in small groups now and you're just starting to learn to trust each other and you've been together, you know, three, four, uh, maybe five weeks and you're just starting to open up to get comfortable and it's going to be over in a couple weeks. Well, one thing I'd say is don't short-circuit what God is doing. Don't just say, well, sayonara, 40 days is up, and we'll see each other in glory. We've had good practice. You know, God is building trust in your life and in other people's lives so that maybe it's going to bloom even more so over time. I'd urge you to seriously consider staying together, at least for one other study. Learn to build that trust, T. The second key to teamwork is E, and that is empathy. Empathy empathy that's the e in team it takes empathy the Bible tells us in first Peter 3: 8 live in harmony with one another and be sympathetic be sympathetic you're ne- you're never going to live in harmony with each other with your wife with your friends with your husband w- um, with your kids if there's not sympathy because when someone's hurting and there's not sympathy they're going to feel disharmony they're going to feel rejected. Sympathy. Empathy. You can't have a team without being aware of what's going on in each other's lives. It's more than just working on a project together. You have to be aware of each other. That's why when people work together at the office, they may be working together, but they're not fully a team unless they know what's going on in each other's lives. You have to have empathy. Empathy is so important because really, if you think about it, it meets two of our very deepest needs. First, I have a fundamental need to be understood. Everybody in life wants to have at least one other person in life who says they understand me. They, they know me. They understand what I'm thinking. You need to be understood. Everybody does. Second, if you have a deep need, it's a human need to have your feelings validated. You need somebody in your life who says, you're, you're not weird. Sometimes I think you are, but really I know you're not weird. You're okay. You're not a, a kook. It's okay to feel that way. That's very normal. Let me assure you, I've been there. Everybody wants to be understood and have their feelings validated by somebody else. That's what empathy does. It meets those two deep needs. Now, if you're going to build a team of friends or build your small group or anything else to strengthen your family, you've got to build empathy into the structure, the actual minutes and seconds of the time that you share together. How do you do that? How do you become an empathetic person? Well, three very simple ways. One, uh, two words, slow down. I don't know about you, but I need to learn to slow down. Speed destroys empathy. And the faster I move, the more details I'm going to miss in life, of people's lives I'm going to miss, the more I'm going to just run over them. Because our culture teaches us to move fast, right? To, to, to surf the Internet. It's, uh, it's called relational skimming. That means that you're, you're hitting the high points and you're missing all kinds of details in the lives of people you care about most. Your friends, your family, your husband, your wife. Kind of like the guy who had his, his, uh, his hand on the on-off switch on the TV and he says, Hun, anything you want to talk about before football season starts? Because I'm out of here. You better get it all out right now, right? If you're moving fast, you can't see the details. So the first step to empathy is to slow down. James 1.19 says, Be quick to listen and slow to speak. This is great advice for groups, by the way, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Did you know that the average human being can comprehend about 650 words a minute? And did you know that's a real problem? Why is that a real problem? Because the average person speaks about 150 words a minute. And that means that you've got about a 400-word boredom factor between what they're saying and your ability to comprehend it. You've got time to think about something other than what they're saying, right? And that can show. So guys, don't use this as an excuse. I I can read the paper and listen to you, hon. Don't worry, I can get it all at the same time. Well, maybe you can. I think I've used that in the past. I, I can watch TV and listen to you. Yes, the truth is, you can, but that is not empathetic. So you have to intentionally slow down and say, I'm not going to be bored. (laughs) But not only do you need to slow down to be empathetic, you also have to ask questions. That's how you show empathy to your children or to anybody else. Ask them questions. Proverbs twenty, verse five says says this: A person's thoughts are like water in a deep well, but someone with insight can draw them out. You ever feel like that? Your thoughts are like water in a deep well, and there's so much going on down there, but you can't see it. You barely even feel it. You need to get it off your chest, and yet you're stuck with it. And then some of you have done this with me. They ask, "How are you doing? No, how you're really doing?" and it gives you space for it to just kind of emerge and you realize what's really going on. We all need that. You have to draw it out of people if you want to be empathetic. How do you do that? Well, the first people don't generally just blurt out their emotions. Some do, but most people hold their emotions pretty close to their chest and they don't automatically share how they're doing. How you doing? Fine, standard answer and I've left the church, right? Okay, they're not really telling you how they feel. They're just giving you the polite response because they don't know if you really mean it or not. How you doing? Can become a, a real serious question or just nothing. But if you say, and uh, this is one way, this is something of many that I've learned from Eric over the years. If you say, how you doing? And I say, I'm fine. Here's how you draw them out. You ask the question twice. Right? That's how you develop empathy. You learn to ask the question twice. I don't know how many times he says, How you doing? Oh, fine. No. How are you really doing, Brian? And then the other thing you do is to linger over that. It means you don't be afraid of silence. You just be in the moment. You stay in the present. You ask the question, "Then you, how are you really doing? And then you just kind of sit there. <laughs> as if you really care about the answer coming. What a novel idea. You listen. You don't just immediately go onto your agenda. You learn. You're not afraid of silence. So you slow down. You ask questions. This is how you be more empathetic. But third, and finally, very basic, two words, show emotion. Okay? This is empathy. You show emotions. That's how you empathize with people. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Empathy is more than saying, I'm sorry you hurt. Empathy is saying, I hurt with you. I've been there. I can imagine. You're willing to cry with them, to weep with them, to rejoice with them. The third key to being a team is T E A, which you might say is accommodation. Accommodation. It takes trust. You have to build trust between each other to have a team in your small group. It takes E, empathy. And it takes A, accommodation. We're, we're all really different, aren't we? And sometimes we don't realize just how true that is until we start meeting together. What does accommodation mean? Well, when you make accommodation for somebody, it's very basic. It means you get them a room. uh, You you get them a room. You get them a room like at the hotel or the motel, or you give them the guest room in there in your house. And it's a very special place. To accommodate someone means to give them, literally to give them space to be who they are, to live in. It means you have to accommodate people in a lot of different ways on your team and in your small group. Heaven knows we need to. Starting with me. I need to be accommodative. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 2.22, Be faithful, loving, and easy to get along with. I saw those elbows wide. <laughs> it's funny what you see up here. <laughs> be easy to get along with, hon. That's a refrigerator verse you might want to put up this week. I'm not asking if you think you're easy to get along with. I'm asking if your wife thinks you are, if your friend thinks you are. I want to know, you know, what other people say you're easy to get along with, Would the people closest to you say, say that. What's that? It's accommodation. Romans twelve eighteen says says this, Do your part to live in peace with everyone. Do your part. Starts there. As Do your part as much as is possible. <laughs> do your part. I would like that because obviously you've got to do your part. And everybody else has a part too. If they don't do their part, it isn't going to happen no matter how much you do your part. That's why it says as much as is possible in, on, your, on your side to do it. Aren't you glad God put that in? Even God realizes that some people are unpleasable. And we do our part, but sometimes you just have to leave it at that. No matter how much you try to get along with them, it's their hang-up. No matter how nice you are. But he says, as much as is possible, you be accommodating. And not just expect it from everybody else. And there are a number of ways we can do this as we apply this part of it as well. How do you be... What, what does it mean to be accommodating? Well, one of the ways is to accommodate each other's needs to accommodate each other's needs the needs that we have in our lives to do what the bible talks about in romans 15:2 each one of us needs to look after the good of people around us asking ourselves how can i help that's being accommodative of people's needs that's a great question in that verse that's an accommodating question how can i help You might want to try that on for size this week, maybe with someone you've never used it with. You'll blow them away to ask, how can I help you? Watch what God does through that simple question as we accommodate each other's needs. We also accommodate each other's ideas, or at least we need to. (laughs) Maybe it's not as natural for some. The Bible says in Proverbs 18.15 about ideas. It says, The intelligent man is always open to new ideas. In fact, he looks for them. Are you intelligent? (laughs) I think most of us are. Well, it means we're going to always be open to new ideas. Indeed, if we're really intelligent, we're going to look for them. As we say around here, not one of us is smarter than all of us. And so no matter how much you think you have the answer, listen to others. Because you could very well come up with something far better than any one of you thought separately on your own as we accommodate each other's ideas. You know, a lot of times you'll be in a group and somebody will come up with a new idea, and sometimes your thought is when you hear this new idea, that's the stupidest idea I have ever heard. And um, uh, there's a couple of possibilities there. One possibility is just a new idea, and it's stupid because you're stupid and they're smart, right? And it takes you a while to come along. I don't know how many times that's happened with me. Many times with Julie. I mean, I, I thought she was stupid and I wasn't. <laughs> and often she thinks I'm stupid too, and I am. <laughs> but the new idea might turn everything upside down, a whole new paradigm that sounds totally stupid. In fact, they generally are, uh, look stupid. So especially if they look that way, space pay special attention. Three, uh, uh, each other's ideas. Two, three, we accommodate, we need to accommodate um, when the rubber meets the road, each other's personalities. Heaven knows. (laughs) We all have different personalities. The Bible says in Romans 12, 6, God in His kindness gave us different gifts. We've got different gifts, different you know abilities, different personalities. And uh, these personalities, you can see these in any type of group, whether it's a work group or a small group at church or a class group at school. A lot of different ideas out there, obviously, about different types of personalities, but in some ways you can boil it down to about four different kinds. There's a person, you know, who wants to work and to get things done. Every small group will have such a person, or at least I hope you do. Because if you don't, you probably won't have a, you will fulfill any kind of mission. Uh, there, there's a person who wants to work and get things done. They're goal-oriented. But on the other hand, there's a person who wants to just have fun and enjoy life. And that's just as important as we've been seeing for, to be a real team. There's the person who wants to, you know, think and discuss things and really get into things. And that's important, too, as you talk about where you're going and issues of life. And then there's the person who just wants to make sure, you know, that, that we're all in harmony, that there's peace, that everybody likes each other. And that, that's all they care about, and that's what they thrive on. And uh, that is important, too. In any situation, you're going to have personalities that you need to accommodate and to see your need for them. And then finally, there's a fourth way that we need to look out to make sure we're accommodating. And that is, we need to accommodate each other's faults. Because they will come out. We have to do what Ephesians four two talks about. It says, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You know, it doesn't take long before you have to do that. You're new in a group, and you think, man, these people are great. They're almost perfect. This church is almost perfect, right? And one word comes to mind, honeymoon. How long will honeymoon last? And, um, and, and Because it doesn't take long to figure out that they've got a lot of faults. And the moment you figure out you're in a group who have a lot of faults, you've got one of three choices. You can, you can fake it and pretend we're all fine and everyone's perfect around here, and you bury them alive, not dead, right? And they will surface, and all hell can break loose when that happens, if they've been building up. So one choice is to, to fake it. I'll pretend we're perfect. There's a lot of stress in that. Or you can leave the group. You can say, I'm out of here. I've been here before. I'm going to find a perfect group. That's kind of the idea you have, though you never put it to words because it's a stupid idea. Um, or you can expect it to happen. Faults will emerge. Sins will be committed. Maybe some pretty serious sins. You can accept it and you can just take relief in it to know that none of us are perfect. And the sooner they find out they 're sinful, the better, and the sooner they find out i 'm sinful, the better as we accept grace. just accept it. Do you know the relief of being in a group like that? Some of you are in such groups where you 've worked through hard things and, 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 or a, a hard marriage or you 've got hard family issues, and you 're working through them and you and get to a place where you can really rest in a comfort level because you 've seen each other at your worst. And you're still together. And you know you grew through it as a direct result of it. And more and more, as you work out your marriage and stay with your church and your small group, you realize it's worth it. It's more than worth it to accommodate each other and to stick it out. That's accommodation. And the amazing thing about it is that it does not make us weaker. The incredible thing is that it makes us stronger stronger. Now that we're not trying to face life alone or do it alone, we're doing it together as a team. And the circle will be unbroken by God's grace. There's a fourth key in being a team, of course, and it's the most important of all. It's one that many churches leave out when it comes to small group ministries. Many families leave out. Uh, Without it, you're not a team. You're just a social club. You can have trust, trust, you can have empathy. You can accommodate each other's needs and differences. But what really makes a team a team is M, and that is a mission. A mission. To have a team, you gotta have a cause. You've got to have a purpose. You gotta have a mission. Teams do not, by definition, just exist for themselves. They turn inward and grow bad. <laughs> They have a reason. They're doing something together. They're making a difference in the world in some way. It's what the church is all about. It's what our 40 Days of Community groups are doing right now. They're looking at how can we go shoulder to shoulder into the community to make a difference together in this world. And um, many of you guys are coming up with some really exciting ideas. You're working on this even as we speak. Philippians two two says this, Be of the same mind... Maintaining the same love, and here it is, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Shoulder to shoulder, mission. Going passionately, as our mission statement says. A caring community, yeah, we enjoy each other's company, but ultimately we're a caring community for the county and the world. Sharing Christ in word and deed. That's our mission. Which leads me to what I'd like to leave you with today, and that is this. It has to do uh, with a guy who really does incarnate many of these things that we've talked about, as I've I've already mentioned. Just like Mark Hill incarnated some things we talked about last week. Uh, One of the most mission-driven men I've ever met who really understands the meaning of empathy and accommodation, who's accommodated me, of all things. And that is uh, Eric Robertson, so eric 's uh, flying off this afternoon to interview with a couple of churches back east, and uh, both of us wanted to talk to you a little bit today just about how the history of of uh, this and how it developed, and uh, where we go from here the um, <clears throat> Where do we begin? <laughs> I guess it started a little over forty days ago, and um, you know, I shared with you some about this fast that I did, the six, six weeks fast. And in the midst of that, I said, there are some things I can't share. It's not uh, proper to share them yet. Um, today, it's time to, to do that. And uh, I guess it goes back to our youth pastor search. You know, we've been looking for a youth pastor for quite some time. And um, it boiled down, ultimately, to two candidates. One, Tom, a guy named Tom Frazier who uh, was one of, I think, 110 resumes that we took in. And the whole search committee was uh, so excited about this guy, he just rose head and shoulders above them all. A diamond in the rough who God is going to use in a powerful way. And just as we were about to select him, another candidate came in whose name was Mark Hill. And... um, it didn't exactly throw a monkey wrench into our process, but it became, uh, uh, turned it into something very interesting. And, and so it was ultimately my decision, but not one of us is smarter than all of us, so I brought a search committee together to go through the whole process together. And we ended up with Mark and Tom Frazier at the top of the list. And um, we, I had this slated uh, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, I think it was September 8th so a little over 40 days ago, to make our decision by. And Wednesday morning came around, and I still was not sure who I felt was God's man. I knew what I wanted. I mean, I was so stoked in a lot of ways about bringing Mark on board, though Tom had some gifts as well. But when it comes to staffing, I've learned over the years that just because it's what you want doesn't mean it's what God wants for the church. It's bigger than just your desires. And so uh, we had decided to make a decision by Wednesday lunch as a search committee. And I, there I was at Iron Hour Wednesday morning. And I still didn't know what, what, my, what I was going to say at the end of the discussion in terms of what I thought would be good. And uh, it just happened that Scott uh, Price and I showed up early to help out uh, that Wednesday morning. And Scott came up to me and said, you know, the board met last night. And uh, they, it, 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 this is clearly your decision as head of staff. But what they said is this. They said, you know, we've been talking about how it would be nice to just hire everybody. <laughs> and, of course, you can't do that, especially these days. And they said that uh, as they talked about it, to them it, it boiled down to if I felt the best thing would be to bring Mark and Tom Fraser on board. So that Tom Fraser would oversee the overall youth ministry and minister to the parents. I mean, Mark Hill would oversee the overall youth ministry and minister to the parents. And then Tom Frazier, Mark would be the older uncle, you know, and Tom Fraser would be the bigger brother. And we'd get uh, uh, the youth ministry backed in a powerful way. And that if it was time for Eric to transition out, that they would be in support of that decision. And it kind of took my breath away because, to be honest, it never crossed my mind that that would be uh, a possibility, much less a viable possibility. But it did two things. One, it reminded me, and we just want to include you in the story of what developed so you can hear the truth of what happened, but it reminded me that here I had a board of elders. They said they were unanimous in this consensus though it was still my decision. And it reminded me of a principle I've used over the years, and that is, if a board of elders of a church is unanimous, not that they're infallible, but it's about as close as I can probably get to the will of God for a church, whether or not I agree with it. Or at least that's the best place for me to start with that consensus. And my thought then did not go to Eric. Eric. It went back to the very beginning of the process that we, uh, this must have been nine months before, as we started looking at a youth, uh, the need for a youth pastor. And the board had a unanimous and an excited consensus that what our youth need is not just a youth director who doesn't have much education, but a youth pastor. A seasoned, uh, a seasoned pastor who can oversee the youth ministry. And so we went forward with that, and we tried to raise money to make it possible in terms, of our, uh, in terms of our budget, and we weren't able to do that. So we dropped back to the plan B, and that is a youth director who is a diamond in the rough who uh, hopefully God would use. And so then, lo and behold, my nine months later, a youth pastor shows up, Mark Hill. And I thought, duh. Why didn't I put two and two together? That was the board's unanimous consensus, and then it happened. I thought, Mark's the guy. Mark is God's will for this church, not just my will or the search committee's. And we had a consensus. And so that made my decision pretty easy when I went to lunch that day. And everyone shared first what they felt, and I shared last, and we were together. Well, then I was left with, with Eric, And I thought, what am I going to do with that? I need to take it seriously, but do I agree with the board? Because it's my decision. And I thought of experiences I've had in the past with staffing decisions when staff were asked to leave. And um, experiences I've personally had, uh, experiences that I've heard other pastors talk about. And I have seen again and again how that can divide a church, if it's not done in the right way, how it can permanently wound a pastor and his wife or at least for many, many years if it's not done in the right way. And I thought, I'm going to deal with this in the right way. And the best way I knew to do it, to give it up to God, to make sure God, it was a God thing and not just an elder or a senior pastor thing, was to go into a 40-day fast. And so that's what I wasn't able to tell you about months ago as to what launched me into this fast. And after about, I think it was two or three weeks of praying and fasting, that first God would show me as the head of staff, as someone who always wants to see his staff fulfill their deepest calling in life and to release them to it, that he would show me what I feel. And then secondly, that he would usher us through a process that could easily become the devil's playground. And so after about three weeks, I sat down with Eric for the meeting. And I I just talked to him about how, um, you know, about how he has, speaking of mission, T-E-A-M, he has the deepest passion of any man I've ever met for a lost generation, for young adults. And it just all kind of clicked together as I look back over all our conversations that we had over several years of how what he brings to the table here is in many ways just what we need as a church, um, of, of how he brings a young adult kind of an honesty. He brings a young adult kind of a passion for worship, a kind of integrity, a relational desire to really be together, and all of this stuff. And yet that's been honed by all these older adults and taught him so much and taught us so much. And what came out, what God clearly uh, uh, showed me as, uh, is that, Eric, I feel it's time for your passion to be released into the fullness of your calling. And I said, what do you think?
1: Well, And, and it, I oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, it, it, w- it definitely was a surprise. We were not um, looking we we didn't want to go. We we were here. We were start. You know, my kids were joining Cub Scouts, and you know, we were making uh, inroads into the community and loving it. And yet, as Brian said, there always has been. Um, well, let's put it this way: in three years, the ministry that I have loved, the ministry that has fed me the most, has always been outside the church. Has been with. Uh, you know, non-believers and out in the community and with another generation. That is what has made me alive. And I've gotten the opportunity to do that here. And, uh, you know, but there was always kind of a question uh, just based on Dylan community and and uh, service here. And I know I have learned, man, over the three years that I've been here, when I first was hired, I used the Tim Tebow analogy you know, he was very successful in one context, and then he moved into another context, you know, going from college football to the NFL. And I felt kind of a, an affinity for Tebow and just, boy, I'm kind of doing the same thing. I wonder how he's going to do. And, uh, and yet at the same time, the analogy kind of stops there because though you've got four years of eligibility in college football, a generation stands and needs to be ministered to. And so there was tension in my heart for sure. And so this, um, though we loved people, though I, uh, and I do, I have to honor Brian, uh, in terms of staff transitions, this man, I'll I'll tell you right now, he loves us and he loves our family like crazy. And his desire is to care for us and to protect us. Um, That's been his stated desire as well as his actions Uh, He is a fantastic leader of staff and has done that well. And even through this transition, I I feel like we have been as honest as we've ever been. It's it's been great to get to know you even more. And uh, uh, I respect you a ton. And the decision, Brian, I'll say it in front of everybody, I believe is right. As we process through it that day, and as I thought about what we have talked about over the last nine months... That we've got, uh, and Annika was in the last service, we've got 50, between 50 and 60 kids in our children's ministry right now in Sunday school classes. And so in five years, those 50 or 60 kids and their friends are going to be in a youth program. And so as I thought about this, Mark is great and Tom is great, but together they're awesome. It's like the you know, Wonder Twins Unite with the rings and everything. <laughs> um, but it really is the absolute best situation that, that we could possibly see for the youth program at DCC. And originally, what, uh, what the stated desire was, you know, Brian came and based on his care for me as a staff member and his care for us as a family, well, let's just, we'll take our time and if it's many, many months down the road, we want to care for you in this. And uh, the timeline of an announce now and a much quicker transition was actually something that the Lord laid on my heart because uh just for the sake of honesty and transparency mark hill before he's ever on the ground we do not want you guys to feel like it is a bait and switch in any way shape or form he is not taking my job his focus will remain on the youth though he will have other capacities and uh you know he and tom we are committed to the youth at dillon community and even as i'm leaving i'm committed to the youth of Dylan community. And so I thought, boy, it's it's best for the youth. It's best for you. It's best for Brian that let's just accelerate this and uh, just be open and transparent. And uh, if I have preached trust in God before, I should put my money where my mouth is and do what I believe God has as right and trust him for the result. If I would tell you to do that, I should live that. And so out of that uh, desire, I just said, let's just do this. And so um, just really quickly, uh, I am leaving today. I have a 4 o'clock flight out of Denver that uh, I'd love to stay in process with you guys, but I'm going to have to run just to make sure I catch that flight uh, for an interview. And there have been, the timing of it was interesting, right? As Brian initiated his fast several weeks before I knew, I had actually gotten a call that I had to turn down to say, I'm not interested. We're happy where we are. Uh, And then, obviously, the Lord had brought that opportunity in in the time. There have been others Uh, back in the Midwest and uh, the East Coast. And so we don't know what God is going to do for our family, but I know that God is good and he will care for us and that he's got big stuff in store for the youth of our church. Uh, And again, just publicly, Brian, this is the right decision. I honestly believe that as I look at the whole picture, I see what you're seeing, I would have done the same thing. I agree with you. I support the decision and the way you have made it. There is no better prayer covering that any man could have done than what you did for this decision. And so thanks for your leadership that way, and uh, I love you. I do too, Eric. Thank you.
0: The two-man pet. And what ultimately brought me around was a deep and abiding sense that this is best for you guys too. And you can, you can already see the energies in this guy, speaking of mission, being released into the fullness of his passion. And, and one reason we came forward today is that so we could get the, the, the concerted prayer and maybe even fasting power of an entire congregation behind this family from the get-go. And so what I'd like to do is just to take a few minutes now uh, to kind of break up into small groups around the auditorium, kind of like we do at our congregational meetings, to pray for Eric and for this uh, time away and, uh, and to pray for his family. And uh, for us as a congregation, that we would back them with our prayer. Some of you might want to do some fasting now, too. Just talk to me, and I'll give you some instruction in that way. But why don't we just take a few minutes to pray, and then uh, I'll close after uh, just a bit. So turn in your seats into groups of five or six or seven, and uh, just have a few of you uh, lead out, and then uh, we'll close. Mm-hmm. Well, Father, I thank you for this music to your ears of your family, of brothers and sisters in Christ, lifting up prayers with one accord in harmony. And Father, I, I do pray that you would hear our prayers and that uh, you would um, bring Eric and his family to a place of, of ministerial abundance, the likes of which they can only now begin to imagine. Thank you, Father, for how much you have built into their lives and built into us as you've built into them. And, uh, Father, we pray you'd bind and rebuke the evil one in all the ways that he'll try to discourage and to sidetrack from your best for them. And so we uh, commit them into your hands now. Thank you that we can have a role in such a concrete way in the weeks and months ahead. I pray that we'd be faithful to care for them.